Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm looking forward to this hour. Dr. Carrie Headington is going to be joining me, and we're going to talk about Jesus, the one and only, the divinity of Jesus. I think you're going to love this hour. I know I'm looking forward to it. I have my Bible open to Psalms. Uh, Chapter 35, verse 9 says, Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. If you know the Lord as your Savior, you know that delight. You have had that incredible understanding of knowing that you are saved, you've been rescued, you've been redeemed. And it's been, um, I'm curious as to when that was for you. Do you remember the day or do you just remember the time of life or has Jesus become in your heart and mind the one and only? So we're going to talk to Carrie about that today. Carrie is a graduate of Oxford University. She's got two degrees in theology, evangelism, and apologetics. Now, before she went to Oxford, she went to a couple other little-known schools. Uh, She got her B.A. from Yale and then also her uh, master's from Harvard in education with a focus on urban poverty policy. She's uh, got quite a resume, but she's just one of the most delightful guests you'll hear on Faith Radio. She's with us for the whole hour. Carrie, welcome back. Thank you so much, Bill. It, it is really great to be back with you. It's uh, we we love your show, and it's an honor to be be on here. Well, I'm excited about the topic uh, today, and Jesus is the one and only. And I yeah. want to I want to jump into the divinity of Jesus. I can't wait. Yes. Well, you know, I'm so delighted because you know last week we looked at the existence of God. And this week we're looking at the divinity of Jesus. And really, the answers to these two questions provide great insights into the questions I think all of us are asking right now, Bill. I mean, with the coronavirus uh, pandemic ravaging the world, as well as the social unrest and violence and hunger and despair, many are asking for the first time, is there a God? And God are you real? And do you exist? And if you do exist, who are you? Where are you? Help me, please. And I have good news. And as you started off this hour, that God is real and God is alive and we can all know him and he will give us all we need. So last week, uh, we said yes. We looked at the evidence uh, for the existence of God and said yes, we can have full confidence in reality that there is a God. And, Bill, uh, just thinking about uh, the things we covered, the fact that the world exists, how is it we have something instead of nothing? That points to a creator God, the design of the world. The designer design of the world points to a supreme designer. We looked at um, personhood. You know, an atheist would say that the impersonal could create the personal. 
No way. Our ability to reason and create and make people laugh, Bill, you're so good at that. Uh, our ability to find a vaccine and our ability to love, all of this points to a personal God. And our values, where do they come from? Truth and beauty and love, doesn't this point to an ultimate value giver? And our conscience, all over the world we have a sense of right and wrong, a sense of ought. Doesn't this point to a moral lawgiver? And then the sixth point for the evidence for the existence of God was worship. We all yearn to worship something beyond ourselves. We we all seek for the transcendent, a transcendent experience, a transcendent God. Where does this instinct come from? And last but not least, we said the, the the greatest evidence for the existence of God is the historical figure of Jesus. How do we know above all that God exists? Because God entered into time and space, entered into our world, and revealed God to us. God came to earth himself. Uh, Bill, as Eugene Peterson, uh, the, the, the great... Uh, 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 biblical scholars said god came into our neighborhood god <laughs> I love that isn't that great that's great god, god walked in our shoes and you know if we think about it in jesus who we're going to be talking about this hour in jesus the invisible god becomes visible the intangible god becomes tangible the unknowable god becomes knowable and bill i know this and you know this because we know him. We know mm-hmm. this Jesus. Our Jesus is alive. And what I'm sharing today, the points I'm going to make are really out of my own story and my own search. You know, when I was at Yale, I debated Christians in our political forum. Um, I thought they were misguided on who Jesus was. Now, we couldn't get away from the fact that Jesus existed. Probably the greatest historian, or one of them at least, on the historical Jesus was at Yale, Yaroslav Pelikan. So no one could deny that Jesus was a real figure in history. We all knew that he was a real figure in history. But I just thought the sweet Christians were misguided. They needed a crutch. And I thought, you know, Jesus is a good moral teacher, a good example, but nothing more, nothing less. And Jesus certainly wasn't God. And then, Bill, in my life, um, and such a good question you asked at the beginning of, the, of, of this hour is, when did you meet Jesus? Have you met him? When did you meet him? Um, for me, it was um, a number of years after, uh, after Yale, and my mom was diagnosed with cancer, and my whole world bottomed out from under me. My mom was my my best friend, and I started searching for answers for myself and started looking again at the question, is there a God, and who is this God? And I was asking, you know, what's going to happen when my mom dies, and what's going to happen when I die? And I remember reading the Bible for the first time in depth. I, I locked the door, like, to my bedroom like I was, you know, doing drugs or something in there. <laughs> I had this secret I was going to read the Bible. Yeah. So I, I I got out the Bible, and I, I started, you know, the where we find the life of Jesus are the first four books of the New Testament in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I started reading the Gospel of John, and it's like scales fell off my eyes. I mean, Jesus 
was clearly much more than a sage. Um, and I not only read about Jesus, I just started devouring, reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, reading about the stories of Jesus. I also experienced his, his spirit, now that I know it's called the Holy Spirit. I I read the Gospel of John. I had this peace I'd never felt before. I remember I had the deepest night's sleep. You know, I've been searching for peace for a long time. You know, I was I was the person that said, you know, if I could get a lot of Ivy League degrees, I'll be happy. If I could have the best boyfriend, I'll be happy. If I could, I went out and tried Hollywood and acted in film and television, then I'll be happy. I never had a peace. And as I encountered this Jesus, I experienced this extraordinary peace. And forgiveness, you know, the the weight, seeing that Jesus, as I was reading about Jesus, he, he constantly was forgiving people of their sins, and I needed forgiveness. And and I think above all more than anything for me personally, I think Jesus meets us all differently. But for me, it was just this unconditional love, you know, that uh, I'd always, I'd been in a world that said, you know, if you make a B plus, why didn't you make an A minus? You know, well, you made your bed, but why didn't you also vacuum the floor? Kind of thing, <laughs> and and this unconditional love um, that I saw in Jesus, and then that I experienced was so extraordinary. And his strength. I mean, he he said, "I will not leave you. I will give you my spirit." And I experienced that 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 strength, and so. I think a lot of people's understanding, Bill, of Christianity is a misunderstanding. And I, I know this is true in my own life. Um, and so when I set off to Oxford, I I said, you know, I'm, my friend said, why are you going? I said, well, I've had this incredible experience of God. Um, the, the Bible has come alive. I'm experiencing God in my daily life. I've got to know if it's true. And they said, oh, your faith, you know, you know what they say about seminary. They call it cemetery. It's going to kill your faith. Don't go to Oxford. I mean, maybe you can go to like another school where where everyone believes, but don't go to Oxford where they're going to put your faith under a microscope and rip it apart. And I said, why not? You know, I don't want to dedicate my life to a lie if Jesus is not who he says he is, then then I don't want to follow a lie. And, Bill, so some of the things I'm going to share today, in fact, all of it's from the research at Oxford, but I left there looking at the evidence for the resurrection, the veracity of the Bible, uh, looking at the historical Jesus. I left more convinced than ever that Jesus Christ was and is who he says he is. And, and my faith, I left stronger in the faith than ever. Oh, that's fantastic. So, so Carrie, I'm thinking uh, before we get into the findings and the discoveries, maybe we should just take a short break and then we'll get back. Does that sound like a plan? Sounds great. Perfect. Dr. Carrie Headington is my guest. After a short break, we'll be back because we're talking about Jesus as the one and only, the divinity of Jesus. We'll be right back.
We are back with Carrie Hennington. She is the founder of the Good News Initiative, which provides resources in evangelism, among other many talents and gifts. Uh, we're talking today about Jesus as the one and only, and the divinity of Jesus, and she's going to talk about some of the findings and discoveries she made while at Oxford. We can't. I can't wait. So, Bill, I want to thank you so much. I want to start off just by... And some of your hearers may may have heard this before. It's an anonymous reflection, but just to get us into the life of Jesus and thinking about Jesus, uh, I'm not sure who wrote this. It's anonymous, but it's so good. Jesus, one solitary life. He was born in a stable in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He then grew up in still another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was a wandering teacher. He never won an election. He never went to college. He never owned a house. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never had money. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. When he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead... He was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Over 20 centuries have come and gone, and today he remains the central figure of the human race and the leader of humankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the kings that ever reigned, all the governments that ever ruled put together have not affected the life of people on this planet as much as that one solitary life. He meets us everywhere. People from all over the world know him. History has not been able to hide him. People from every walk of life, every nationality, every language around the world worship him. His impact is everywhere. His life is unparalleled. And, Bill, I know this. um, Statistics show over 2 billion people follow Jesus worldwide, and sociologists and statisticians say that Seventy to 110,000 people become believers of Jesus per day. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Uh, yeah. Just, just amazing. And uh, my my husband Greg and I, your 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 friend, are uh, very active in 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 unnamed countries, high risk countries where uh, you could get killed for following Jesus, and to be able to visit those places and hear from from believers of saying, you know, Jesus revealed to me in a dream. I mean, they're all they're all different ways Jesus is revealing. Mainly it's through other believers, one person telling another person, but he's revealing himself. He's alive and changed my life. So the question is who is Jesus and of course, during the time of Jesus, the Bible, again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, depict the story. Uh, 
depict the unfolding of the disciples realizing who Jesus was and is. They had waited for so many generations for God to send a rescue and, and a Messiah. And Jesus asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others the prophets of long ago have come back to life. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, the Messiah of God. Now, we read this and go, yeah, yeah, of course. But we have to realize how how incredible this is. The Jews were saying Jesus was God. And this is in this reverential culture, this monotheistic culture steeped in religion, where the word God, Yahweh, couldn't even be uttered aloud. If they wrote the name God, they would wash their hands. And here we see these accounts in the Bible of people over and over again meeting him and saying, could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? He is. This was staggering. And we have to remember, I think I think many of us think, gosh, um, faith is, is a leap in the dark, kind of a stepping out in the abyss and just hoping against hope that it's true. And But what we see in the New Testament in the Bible is the word faith and belief is from the Greek word pisteo, to trust to commit to, to put our weight down on. In fact, they are saying this isn't blind faith. Faith is a stepping into ultimate reality. So so in Jesus, the the invisible God becomes visible. And so in many ways, how, how do we be, let's humbly come before these truths and think about this Jesus. In many ways, he's like you and me. He was fully human. He was born. He got tired. Uh, we read in Scripture he becomes really thirsty. He goes to a well for water. He he gets exhausted. We see him sleeping in the back of a boat. He sweated. He he had family ties like everyone else. On occasion, could get a little annoyed maybe with him. Uh, he 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 got angry. We see him turning over tables. He loves so deeply. He wept. We see him weeping when his friend died. Uh, we we see him as a great storyteller in the life of a dinner party. You know, everyone wanted Jesus at their dinner party. We see his profound compassion as he reached out to the unloved and the unlovely. And we see him suffering, suffering on the cross. He died. He was one of us. And yet he was so utterly unique. And what makes him the one and only and why people the world over say, yes, Jesus was and is God. I'm going to look at just seven things, Bill, today. We'll go through the seven. Uh, There are many more points we can make, but I just want to highlight a few. So we'll look at seven things that help us point to the reality that Jesus was and is God. How does that sound? I love it. So we've got about, let's see, about four minutes before we have a hard break. So let's, maybe we can knock off one or two. Let's knock off one or two. The first is Jesus' birth was utterly unique. Um, People call it the virgin birth. It's actually the virgin conception. Think about that for a moment. The Holy Spirit entered the womb of the Virgin Mary. And in the Bible, we have 
we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and record the life of Jesus. And Matthew and Luke are the Gospels which record the birth and youth of Jesus. And in both accounts, Joseph is clearly the legal father of Jesus, but not the biological father. So we have two independent accounts tells us that Jesus was born by the direct action of God in the womb of Mary, a virgin. Now, God could have come to the earth in many ways, through an emperor, a king, a cosmic blast, and yet, and yet he became one of us, a lowly human being, so that our human hearts and minds could receive him and fully know him. God became human to reveal God to humanity, to speak our language, to walk in our shoes. So that's the first thing. Definitely the birth of Jesus makes him utterly unique. And the second is Jesus' teaching. And I want to look at his teaching, and we might get through the first part, but there, there are two important things about the teachings of Jesus that make him utterly unique and unparalleled in human history. The first is the way he taught. And the second is the content of his teaching. No one has ever taught like him before, and no one has ever taught like him since. So vivid and so memorable and so powerfully authoritative. He would say this. Now, we read this in Scripture when Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you. Now, we read that and go, all right, truly, truly, I tell you. What does that mean? We need to realize during during the time of Jesus, the scribes, And the rabbis would point to the teachings of God. They would never speak on their own authority. And Jesus is saying, I tell you. He spoke, says Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, as one having authority. He taught not like the scribes. He taught higher than the scribes. His teaching was the authority of truth breaking into this world. And the content of his teaching was staggering, uh, just as staggering as the authority. What he said was phenomenal. He taught that the long-awaited kingdom of God that everyone had been waiting for and yearning for had broken in. It had arrived with himself. He invited all those who were weary and heavy burdened to come to him. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. And he didn't say, I will point you to God. Essentially, he's saying, I am God. I am the one who is going to carry your burdens for you. He said that he would satisfy our deep inner thirst. And he taught us about God. He not only showed us God, he taught us about God. He said, I want to tell you about God. God is like a king who forgives the debtor out of the kindness of his heart. God is, 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 like, is, is like a father who waits on tiptoe for his wayward son and runs after him and throws his arms around him and throws a party. So he taught us. He taught us about God with such an intimacy as if he was and is God. No (laughs) one has ever spoken like this man, the soldiers said, who were sent to arrest him, and they fell back before him. And they were right. What a great start. We've got uh, five more to go. Dr. Kerry Hennington is my guest. We're talking about Jesus, the one and only, the divinity of Jesus this powerful hour, Carrie. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with lots more.
So glad to be spending this hour with Dr. Carrie Headington. We're talking about Jesus, the one and only, the divinity of Jesus. Carrie's making uh, seven wonderful points. We've got two down, five to go. So I'm looking forward to this uh, time um, to learn the other five, Carrie. Great. Thanks, Bill. So so just to just we, we we looked at the birth makes Jesus utterly unique, his unique birth. We looked at his teachings that made him utterly unique, especially how he he spoke as if he were God, and in fact he was. Uh, and it's so it made everyone say blasphemy for those who didn't believe. And and think about Jesus's teaching just to finish up on that. Um, his teachings have been at the heart of so many social reform movements throughout history in Poland and South Africa, South America, the civil rights movement. His teaching on love was so radical, not mere tolerance, but, but laying down your very life. And his teachings resonate within us so intuitively. We, we, we know them and we grasp the reality of his words. And, you know, most people are, some people are able to talk a good talk, and people are able to teach on really high moral standards, and yet Jesus is the only one in human history who's been able to perfectly walk his talk. Jesus is the only person who's led a perfect life, and that leads me to point number three, a flawless life. Now, it's one thing to say, uh, he was without sin, and it's quite another thing to prove it, and yet he did. The Jesus we read about in Scripture is total perfection. No other person could point to this kind of a flawless life. So flawless, when they put him on trial, they couldn't agree on their testimony against him. So <laughs> flawless that Pilate declared three times, I find no fault with this man, Pilate, who put him to death. He's and and what gets me, Bill, is John, the image we have of John, his best friend, his beloved, is leaning against the breast of Jesus, his closest friend. He says, he says this, he says, if we, you and I, say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then he writes about Jesus, in him was no sin. Now, we might be able to you know, fool our friends and acquaintances, and they might think, oh, what a lovely person. But if they see us on our bad days, they know that certainly, certainly we are not sinless. Jesus was sinless. In him was no sin. And those, those closest to him said it. His compassion was unrivaled. He treated all people fairly, men and women, rich and poor, and this was so radical in this highly fractionalized society of his today. And think about this, Bill. Though he claimed to be God, he humbly washed his disciples' feet. And for me, this perfect life, as he was being crucified on the cross, nailed the, the most brutal form of death imaginable, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A flawless life, a perfect life, perfect life of radical love. So that's number three. Isn't that beautiful? It's just so beautiful. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, framing this in a context where uh, the authorities wanted to kill him, right? Uh, yeah. His friends were often confused by him. Uh, his family thought he was out of his mind. Yeah. Um, 
and he was homeless and broke. Yes. And and this is, and this is my savior. All of, and with all that, he he loves perfectly. All these people misunderstanding him. I mean, I, if I have one person kind of slight me, I, I get my feelings hurt and kind of recoil. <laughs> but here is Jesus running after running after and radically loving those who everyone else shunned. And even as they were brutalizing him, he lovingly said, Father, forgive them. Just this this life of perfect love. And for me, that's what impacted me is really, if, if we want to know, Jesus is love on two feet is what he is. If we want to know what love looks like, we look at Jesus. So that love. So that's number three. Number four, we'll just keep rolling along here. Number four, Jesus is unique in that he performed many, many miracles. At every point in Jesus' life, we are impacted by an encounter of a miracle. And they took many forms, miracles of knowledge, of physical healing, of mental healing. I think of the the story of of the 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 man who Legion, who they said he was so mentally tormented. And and was cutting himself. He was like a modern day cutter, you mm-hmm. know. And here he puts this this man in his right mind. He overturns nature. That's encouraging to us, especially uh, in Texas right now with all these hurricanes and raises people from the dead. And the gospel writers want us to see these as indicators of of who Jesus is and his compassion, his total compassion. The one who can feed five thousand can feed our hungry souls. The one who can open blind eyes, and by the way, he still opens blind eyes. My husband and I go to Cuba, and I've seen a person receive their eyesight back while they're being prayed. Um, He can open our blind eyes, our eyes that are blinded by pride and prejudice. And these miracles were never done to show off. We never see Jesus walking around arrogantly, but it shows Jesus' compassion for human need, the most extraordinary compassion. And in these miracles, we see the kingdom of God, this kingdom that, that the, the, world, the world we were made for. We see the healing and hope breaking into the world, and that only comes in and through Jesus. So his miracles uh, point to 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 the fact that Jesus is the one and only. Number five. Yeah, yeah. Carrie, if I can just jump in. I mean, just for thinking of the, the bookend miracles of Jesus, the first miracle he performed was at the, the wedding feast of Cana. Uh, yeah. So he was he was solving a hospitality issue. So he was meeting a need, but he was bringing glory to God. Every miracle he performed brought glory to the Father. Nothing was ever done uh, just for the sake of it. And then I, I think of the last miracle I, that I can think of uh, was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he restored the ear to the soldier uh, Malchus. And yet he was still meeting needs. I mean, he was about to face the worst night of his life. And he took time to bend down, pick up an ear that had been cut off, and put it back on someone's head. It's yes. just unbelievable. Yes. Constantly caring for Every yes. detail of our lives, down to wanting to make sure we had a great party, his first, his, his first <laughs> right. miracle, for yeah. everything from wanting to make sure we have a great party to restoring a man who was coming to kill him, to yes. restore him. Yes. And just incredible. So powerful. So powerful. So miracles. 
Um, number number uh, uh, four, are, uh, no other person in human history has fulfilled prophecy like Jesus. And, Bill, for me, this is one of the most compelling arguments. I'm kind of a history nerd, and some scholars argue, uh, most scholars argue, in fact, that there are over 322 pointers to Jesus, prophecies from the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, that is incredible. And and think about this, things that were predicted some 800 years before, how he would be born, how he would die, um, details of how many coins were used to betray him, how he would return and reign forever. All of these, not some of them, but all of them were fulfilled in Jesus. One of my best friends is now a, a, a Jewish follower of Jesus. She said, I just said, look at the New Testament. And she said, oh, my goodness, Carrie, after reading and being a scholar of the Old Testament, when I read the New Testament, literally at every turn, she said, I saw, I could see it. It was clear as day for me. And she became a follower of Jesus. Um, statisticians have said that for someone to fulfill all of these prophecies, it is like one chance in 84 with a thousand zeros after the 84. Uh, in other words, it doesn't happen every day. <laughs> so, and, and, and they, it not, not some of it came to pass all of it. This is extraordinary to me. Yeah, it's extraordinary. extraordinary. There's no other way to put it. Only God can do that. Yes. You know, and number five, the death of Jesus, of course, is utterly unique. Bill, a symbol of death and shame, a cross, has become a symbol of ultimate victory. And, you know, our world's heroes wear capes, but mine wears a cross. Yeah. And I, and I think this bill gets to, to the, the very core of what we're talking about today. And, you know, we're seeing every day governments and social agencies and charities and nonprofits are trying to heal our world. In fact, our world is asking them, like, do better, do more, help. Um, But really, if you think about it, they're only treating the symptoms. Because the fact of the matter is we are all infected with a disease. We all have a heart disease. Every human being has a heart disease. At the heart of the human problem, as my friend J. John says, is the problem of the human heart. And I think of it like this. We're, we're all in debt. The Bible says we all fall short of God's glory. We all fall short of God's perfect way of love. So we're all in debt. And none of us can live perfectly and love perfectly. So if you're in debt, Bill, and I'm in debt, we can't help each other out of debt. The only way we can get back into credit is is by someone who's in credit, and the only one in credit is God himself. And that's the cross, isn't it? On the cross, Jesus paid our debts with his blood, by shedding his blood and brought us back into credit with God. But we know his death was not the end. Three days later, he rose again from the dead, and through his death and resurrection, Jesus broke the death barrier. We are no longer slaves to death. So these numbers that we're seeing every day, these COVID numbers of death, 
I want to say death is not the end. In fact, when we leave this life, it can be. If we receive the gift, if we cash that check that Jesus has written for us, if we take it to the bank and redeem it and say yes to Jesus, we can be with him for an eternity. And for me personally, Bill, uh, especially to Oxford, I looked in-depth at the evidence for the resurrection, and there was so much in support. If you think about it, some of the uh, greatest books ever written on the evidence for the resurrection were were originally people who set out to discount it. Uh, so that's that's an interesting thing. Uh, Professor Thomas Arnold, the former chair of Modern History, of Modern History, said this: "I've been used for studying the histories of other times and to examining the evidence of those who have written about them, and I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by fuller and better evidence of every sort." And that Christ died and rose again from the dead. So the rapid growth of the early church, those who believed in the resurrection, who encountered the risen Christ, points to the fact that the resurrection is the turning point in human history. And we know within 20 years, the history books are clear that news of resurrection of Jesus Christ had reached much of the known world. Um, J.P. Moreland, the scholar, notes this. He said, when a major cultural shift takes place, historians always look for events that can explain it, and there's been no more major cultural shift than the exponential growth of the apostolic church. So, Bill, it's his birth, his, his teachings, his perfect character, his miracles, his fulfillment of prophecy, his his death number six all I'm gonna, under i'm gonna have you i'm gonna have you pause there carrie because i i want to take a, our last break and then come back um but you are just filling my heart today with this this is so <laughs> wonderful great i know i'm not alone on that either so um let me take a break dr Kara headington is my guest we're talking about the divinity of jesus and we'll be right back Dr. Kerr Headington. We're talking about the divinity of Jesus. She's done a fantastic job of laying out seven points. As, of course, she said there could be many more, but seven seemed like a reasonable number for an hour. We've got a couple so, left to go. couple left to go. Final stretch, Bill. So we, we said Jesus' birth, his teachings, his character, his miracles, his fulfillment of prophecy, his unique death, all serve to underline one thing, and that's number seven. Jesus's claims. Wait, wait, wait. Are, uh, we got we got to go to six first. Oh, no, let's see. Birth is one, okay. and then we have teachings. Then okay. we have perfect character, his miracles, his fulfillment of prophecy. Number six is his unique death. Number oh, seven yes. are his claims. Okay, good, good, all good? right. Good oh, to yeah. go. Good yeah, to go. Yeah, I was very, very bad at math when I was a kid. I, I, 
bad at math as well, so I had to do that on my hands, actually. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had to count with my fingers. So, right. so number seven, Jesus' claims are unrivaled in human history. And I can remember, Bill, reading the Bible for the first time thinking, goodness me, he is claiming to be God. And Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And and those disciples, they couldn't believe it because, remember, uh, they wouldn't even say the word God out loud. And here Jesus is saying, I and the Father are one. They saw Jesus pray intimately to the Father, calling him Abba, which is the equivalent of Daddy. He says, you too can pray that way. He forgave sins, in which only God could do. He said he would be the final judge, a role reserved for God and God alone. He accepted worship, which was reserved for God alone. And mm. it, think about Thomas when, when he says, Thomas, touch my side. And Thomas falls to the ground after he he encountered the resurrected Jesus and saw Jesus back from the dead and touched his side, touched him to say, you really are real. I'm not hallucinating. And he fell to the ground and said, my Lord and my God. And we don't see Jesus saying, oh, no, 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 don't follow me. Don't follow me. Follow God. We see him receiving that worship. His claims were loaded with meaning. Before Abraham was, I am, is the words that God used to reveal himself to Moses in in the burning bush and Abraham, and then he uses the same words about himself. This amazing God became one of us, and his life, death, and resurrection show us that Jesus was nothing less than God on earth. And I'm going to give you a bonus today, Bill, a number eight. Sweet. We know Jesus is the one and only because he's alive and we can encounter him today. Jesus, before he left, he says, I will give you another comforter to be with you forever and he will dwell with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. I am with you even till the end of the age. He gives us his Holy Spirit. I've experienced this risen Jesus. Billions of people around the world have experienced this risen Jesus. My life is totally transformed, Bill. I was depressed and and searching for love in all the wrong places, and I encountered this Jesus, this risen Lord, not just locked in a stained glass window, not just locked words on a page in a, in a book of the Bible, I experienced the risen Christ, and my life has totally changed. Jesus said, I've come to bring life and life in abundance, and he has that for all of us, Bill, mm-hmm. all of us. So I say in these final moments, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. He says this in the book of Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and be with them forever. So what does all this mean? So Jesus is the one and only. Okay, what does that mean for our lives? That means God is real and alive and wants to give us this abundant life of unconditional love and forgiveness and acceptance and the gift of his Holy Spirit not just to survive in this life, but to thrive 
I've experienced it. You have. And he said, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I will come in and be with you forever. So I would encourage the listeners, you know, if if you've opened the door and and but just haven't fully known and and been reminded today that Jesus is right there with you and in your heart to give you everything you need just to say again today Jesus please come alive again in me and if if you've never experienced Jesus and this abundant life that includes eternal life he says, for all who receive me, you will become my children forever. That means death is not the end. To open that door to Jesus. And so I'd like to say, would you like to do this? And the way to pray is just to say, come. Come in, Jesus. I welcome you. And Jesus says to all of us, I will never leave you. I'm with you always. So, Bill, Jesus is the one and only. He's real. He's alive. And we can know him. Yeah. And when Jesus used the title Son of Man, that's quite a strong descriptor. And if you're a skeptic of Christ's deity, it's kind of hard to dismiss that that self-designation that he gave of himself. I mean, you're, you're asking, we just want to meet... Jesus on his terms. Yes. Not expect Jesus to meet us on our terms. Yes. He's already paid the penalty of our sin. And we come to Jesus and we say, you claim to be the son of God. Okay, wow. I need to either uh, get on my knees and worship you or reject you. But those are the options. Yes. Yes. And, and you know, um, that, that is exactly right. And he gives us he gives us that that option, doesn't he? He does. You know, um, uh, the 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 great uh, the great C.S. Lewis quote. He says, "I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claims to be God. This is the one thing we must not say." A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said, uh, said the things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he didn't intend to. So isn't this just, it's so encouraging, especially when people are asking, is God real? Is God out there, and what does God look like? Jesus answers all of these questions. God is certainly real and alive. And if we want to know what he looks like and who he is, we can read about him, and we can encounter him ourselves. So I encourage people, if, if, if this is, 
you know, definitely say yes. Invite Jesus in. And if you want to keep exploring, I encourage you, open the Bible, read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and pray the prayer that I prayed. God, I'm not sure if you're real, and I really don't think you are, but if you are, reveal yourself to me. And he will. And he will. Because mm-hmm. that's his heart. You know, our hearts are restless, says St. Augustine, until we find rest in God. And he has peace and love and hope to give us every day of our lives in this life and into eternity. Bill, is that good news or what? It's, it's the best news, Carrie. And you have filled my tank, and I know you have filled the tanks of many listeners today that said, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for doing the show. I feel like I got the Headington Daily Double. I'm going to have Greg on Friday, so it's going to be a great week for me. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for your great show. Have a great rest of the night, and thank you for coming on. Dr. Kerry Headington has been my guest. And that wraps up our show for the day. I know um, that you uh, are such faithful listeners and supporters of Faith Radio. just want you to know that means the world to us. Thank you so much. If you lay your head on the pillow tonight, know that God is working out a great plan in your life and that he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.